0: Welcome to episode number 22 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're looking to create a global community around workplace safety and industries handling combustible dust. Today's episode, we're doing an interview with Chris Justo, Director of Industrial Projects at Hallam ICS. Today's episode, we will be talking about the five common mistakes that Chris and his team at Hallam see when companies are addressing combustible dust hazards. So, they're walking a lot of facilities, they're doing a lot of dust hazard analysis, a lot of exposure prevention and protection system design and implementation. Dust collection implementation. And I want to get his take on what are the five common things that he's seeing that companies are struggling with today. So, Chris shares a lot of great information around this topic, around understanding the, the severity or the gravity of the hazard that companies are actually facing and, and different mistakes that they're seeing. But he also does it in a really simple manner. And I, I really enjoyed the way he brought these topics out and, and discussed them in a really kind of digestible and understandable approach. So, I really appreciated that. So, as always, I, I appreciate as well all the listeners. And the feedback and comments that we're getting on the podcast, I appreciate you taking the time of your day to listen to the voice of myself and Chris and the other interview guests. Um, And I hope you really enjoyed today's episode with Chris and find it useful and understanding the hazards of combustible dust and applying it to your work. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In today's episode, we're doing an interview with Chris Justo, Director of Industrial Projects at Hallam ICS based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Chris has close to 20 years' experience in mechanical engineering, worked previously in, in manufacturing, snack food, cereal, and wood products industries prior to joining Hallam. So he's had a, has a pretty knowledgeable and depth and background with industries that are handling and generating combustible dust. Chris, I want to say thank you for coming on the show today and, and sharing your, your knowledge and experience with the community. Absolutely, Chris. I'm glad to be here. So in today's episode, we're going to cover the top five mistakes that, that Chris has seen from walking many, many facilities in them addressing their combustible dust hazards. So this, this kind of concept and this topic really falls in the back of a previous episode, episode 18 with Diane Kate, where we talked about the five mistakes that she saw in industries and, and facilities with their dust collection system design. And we got talking with Chris and, and with the work he does with Hallam and the work that their team does there. They do a lot of DHAs, dust collection analysis, explosion prevention and protection systems he was kind of along the same lines where that episode was so popular. He was saying, well, these are the, the five things that I've seen. Um, and as we kind of click those up, we can see the mistakes and the challenges that our people are having. So I really want to get him on to, to discuss that topic. Before we kind of jump into the, the top five mistakes that, that you and your team have seen, Chris, can you explain a bit about your, your background and your current role with Hallam?
1: Yeah, sure. So H- Hallam ICS, if, if people aren't familiar, is an engineering consulting firm. Uh, established in 1981, we've got a little over 100 employees in five offices. We provide engineering design services, uh, as well as what we call industrial safety services, which includes uh, services related to combustible dust safety, park flash safety, and toxic gas monitoring systems. You mentioned my, my title is director of industrial projects. And I joined Hallam uh, coming up on three years ago to, to help grow their service offerings to industrial facilities. Uh, I've been involved in combustible dust safety in, in various capacities, as you kind of touched on in the intro there, uh, for about 15 years. kind of cut my teeth on vending calculations and, and evaluating MEC uh, concentrations in as a mechanical design engineer uh, for a processing equipment manufacturer. Provided equipment to, to food and feed industries uh, and, and various industrial chemical products. Moved into consulting engineering about seven or eight years ago and worked with a company for a number of years that uh, worked primarily in wood products. I worked extensively with NFPA 664, 68, 69 in that role and really gained a, a lot more of my background uh, around the subject. So through a series of, of client requests, uh, since I've joined Hallam and, and have sort of brought some of this expertise to the team, uh, we found ourselves providing a lot of services related to dust collection and combustible dust safety. Seems to be a, a large need for these services and, and not a lot of knowledge and understanding throughout the industry in how to address the, the hazards of combustible dust.
0: Yeah, and we, we got to talking earlier, this was probably in, a number of months ago, and Chris was talking about his work with Hallam and his, the previous work they've done in ArcFlash and, and how ArcFlash has matured a bit from its education phase. And that really in the combustible dust field, we're still sort of at that awareness and education phase. And then he, he really got into, well, these are what we actually see when when our, our team and myself are walking facilities. And that's kind of what spurred this discussion. So I, I, I may have cut you off. Was there anything else in the background or in your background, Chris, that you wanted to, to make sure we include there, it's relevant to to combustible dust safety.
1: No, no, not really. I think um, you know the only other thing I might mention is talking about kind of being in an education phase as far as the industry goes, and and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's that's part of the reason I launched uh, my blog series last December, which I've been is, is on that our company website on our blog, and I've been sharing it through LinkedIn, and and appreciate you sharing the articles you have as well through your newsletter um, to just promote awareness and, and share information and try and make it more readily available.
0: Yeah, and we appreciate the work that you're, you're doing there because companies that are going out of their way to try to educate and, and increase awareness and connect the community more. I mean, with Dust Safety Science, we can't do the mission alone. It's really about bringing in everyone. And companies that are going through the, the work of putting out the quality material that, that we're seeing from, from yourself are actually really helping that. So we, any, any companies that are creating great material like that, we like to share it. Um, we will certainly link to some of those articles in the show notes for this episode, which uh, will be at dustsafetyscience.com/22 for this episode. And yeah, I've been I've been really interestedly reading those those articles. I know they're maybe going through some more publications, so we'll we'll link to those. So, Chris, I guess we'll jump right in. So the the topic is the five common mistakes in addressing combustible dust hazards that uh, you and your team see in these facilities so what's the what's the first mistake and the first challenge that you you're commonly seeing?
1: yeah, so the the first one I identified is 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 not really appreciating the the gravity of the hazard, and, and this has a couple different facets to it. I've seen a couple uh, facilities where you know they had their dust tested, and the results come back and it you know the report categorizes it as as an s t one dust, uh, which has a KST less than two hundred. And it's it's identified as a a quote weak explosion hazard, and um, you know that, that that comes from NFPA. But but it uh, it has the effect sometimes of of misleading folks because it is a weak explosion only relatively speaking. Uh, it, you know, it's still a significant explosion hazard. You know, and I, I explained to folks. You know, for instance, the imperial sugar. You know, sugar is a, is an st one dust. And, you know, many people are familiar with that, which is why I use it as an example of, you know, it's a, a quote unquote weak explosion still has the potential to do a, a tremendous amount of damage.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I want to touch actually on a, on a previous, just the last podcast, episode 21 with Martin Cluche. we talked a bit about what the industry had come to call a marginally explosible dust. So these are, are dust with low KSTs, typically less than 50 and there's question about whether or not they will truly explode industrial situations. And in Martin's work, have shown that some, maybe metal dust actually are worse and others maybe won't, but that it's really an open challenge. The reason I want to highlight is the term marginally exposable dust, um, weakly explosible, low KST, um, and small explosion. <laughs> we sometimes use those terms on this podcast. Um, and we even did when we talked about this marginally exposable dust in the last episode. But I really want to... It's hard for me when we're recording these actually live, but I want to kind of discourage the use of those and, and actually um, second this this first understanding the magnitude of the hazard, just like Chris is saying. An ST1 dust, you know, there's plenty of cases of ST1 dust causing disastrous consequences and catastrophic explosions like imperial sugar. Um, and it's, you know, these terms of weak and marginal exposure really marginalize that hazard so we're going to try to stop using those um i can't guarantee that in the flow of conversation we will be successful but it's a really good point to to bring up and i I just wanted to highlight that we've had that in previous episodes as well so i do appreciate that chris absolutely so then mistake number one we're seeing is not appreciating the potential severity or the gravity of the hazard what's the the second common mistake that you see in these facilities
1: well i've got uh a couple more points related to the first one um so there's you know related to not appreciating the the severity of hazard, um, there there's a lack of uh, awareness with regards to secondary explosions and and the risks associated with poor housekeeping and and, and that's I think is part of the maturing process of you know the industries becoming more aware of the hazards um, as as you've discussed on on previous shows uh, and a lot of people. In the industry, understand uh, secondary explosions are oftentimes the, the most devastating and have the worst consequences. Kind of that, that leads into the the idea that uh, you know we've never had an event or it's always been this way, and and that's something again you've touched on with the previous guests. You know, well, you know, it's always been dirty around here, and nothing's ever happened.
0: Yeah, it won't happen to me yeah
1: yeah it reminds me of uh my my father in law is, is a well he's retired now but he was a, he was a counselor and and he used the term one time uh systematic desensitization and uh I, I think about that in this a lot you know you you you're around what is a hazardous situation and and you know maybe you show up your first day on the job and you get some training about it and then every day every week every month that goes by that that there's no consequences from that hazard you know you start paying less and less attention to it we we took a family vacation last fall to to yellowstone national park and there was a a park ranger was given a a a talk um, that was geared towards children we had we have two kids so they were we stopped and they were listening in and he was talking about they have um uh, i think it was something like three million visitors a year or something like that and they average one bear attack per year and uh he says so the odds of it happening are very very low but somebody has to be that one person and you don't want it to be you
0: so it's uh well that's a good way to look at it i mean sometimes the the, the low probability nature of this kind of muddies up the waters i find and it, sometimes a quantitative risk assessment it's it can be used and useful but in talking to people um which is what we need to do <laughs> at the end of the day um you, there's no way to appreciate what a 1 in 3 million chance is. It doesn't make any more sense than a 1 in 100,000 chance or 1 in 1 billion uh, to, to, a, to a human. So it becomes kind of difficult to, to understand, but that's the way to look at it is you don't want to be that bear attack. <laughs> you don't want to be that facility with the disaster, that catastrophic loss incident. So let's work towards you not being that one. Is there anything else under that, uh, the first kind of category?
1: No, no. Um, I think uh, we we start talking about the second one if you'd like. Please, yeah. And the 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 second thing I had on my list was was tolerating uh, poorly performing dust collection systems. And uh, you covered a lot of details of the deficiencies associated with with dust collection systems uh, in your your episode with Diane Cave, which, which I thought was great. So I don't want to, I, you know, I don't want to focus on the kind of the mechanical details of that because because you guys covered that really well. I thought in that episode, um, but just people don't appreciate, I think, how how effective a well performing dust collection system can be in capturing fugitive dust, preventing you know fugitive dust accumulations, and and decreasing that risk for for secondary explosions. They they underappreciate what an effective tool a a well-performing dust collection system can be in, in keeping their facility safe.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important one even to re-emphasize. I know we did cover with Diane in episode 18, but just reemphasizing that that is a common thing um, that we're tolerating poorly forming systems. That we don't we don't need to do that. They can be designed better to pick up the vast majority of the dust that's created, uh, which is an important step in the the prevention process. Definitely. So, okay. So we have mistake number one and mistake number two. What's uh, what's the third common mistake that you typically see?
1: So the third one we run into a lot is is not recognizing electrical hazards. You know, uh, electrically classified areas could could probably be a good topic for for an entire episode. But um, you know, just as an overview of of things that we run into is um, you know standard electrical equipment in. Classified areas or areas that uh, that should be classified that aren't because the facility isn't aware of you know what constitutes a classified area and and what is required. Uh, electrical uh, heat uh, heat from electrical devices and, and sparks are, are are common ignition sources when you're talking about you know your explosion Pentagon and and trying to reduce hazards by uh, you know controlling ignition
0: sources maybe on that topic um i know it is a it is a a pretty in-depth topic that we probably will cover specifically on the the podcast at a later date maybe even with chris if uh, he's, he's willing but we have had a number of international uh guests on over the last over the last 20 episodes and we talked a bit about this classification um hazardous of hazardous areas electrical non-electrical um and then different types of, of classifications is there like a 30-second a version of of the system of uh, electrical hazard classification maybe from NFPA or where where does that come from in North America typically? Just as a as a starting point to even launch in that conversation at a later date.
1: Sure, yeah. So N- NFPA four ninety-nine is the standard for combustible dusts or electrical classification uh, of areas relative to combustible dusts. And that kind of walks you through, you know the the logic around what the categories are and and how they're defined and how big of an area around your sources need to be uh, classified as, you know, uh, what what class and division so that you're making sure that you're installing the the correct type of electrical devices that, you know, will not produce a spark or or overheat or or whatever the case may be
0: no, that's good to good to know is the jumping off point. And we'll include in the show notes a link to NFPA 499 that people can can go and and look at the NFPA website to to get that document as the as the kind of starting guide for understanding that. Um, as we put the international approach out um, and the North America approach out, sometimes it gets confusing which applies where. I think to the listeners, so it's good to start to delineate that a bit. So I appreciate you, you describing it a bit. So we're at three. So right now we have appreciating the magnitude of combustible dust hazards, we have tolerating poorly performing dust collection systems, um, not recognizing electrical hazards or the classification schemes that are typically used. What's the the fourth thing that you've commonly seen?
1: So, so the fourth one, and I, I started with actually a much longer list and it turned out that that a lot of these kind of fell into uh, these last two categories, I guess, as, as examples. So you know, the fourth kind of category that I lumped some stuff in was, was non-compliant explosion venting. Venting, to to me, seems to be a, a commonly known uh, explosion protection strategy, but not thoroughly understood. So, you know, you have, uh, for instance, a facility buys a new piece of equipment and, you know, the vendor is trying to do a good job and says, you know, okay, what kind of dust are you collecting? And, they say this is combustible, so they, they provide you know, a dust collector, for instance, with uh, explosion vents on it, and a lot of people tend to think, okay, I've got vents on there, I'm good to go. But there are you know, installation considerations involved that, that then equipment vendors a lot of times are, are not in a good position to, to try to, to, to be able to ensure that, that they're completely installed safely and, and following all the proper guidelines. So, for instance, the, you know, venting not pointed in a safe direction. If you have a vent, that's great, but the whole idea of that vent is to allow the pressure to escape that uh, vessel so that it doesn't explode, but that that pressure and that fireball that comes out of there has to to go somewhere, and if, uh, if the vessel's not located or the, the venting is not pointed in a safe direction, then, you know, you're potentially creating other very hazardous situations that uh, you were trying to avoid in the first place. Another one we see related to that is is improper vent ducting. So if you have a, a dust collector, for instance, that's installed indoors, and this happens a lot of times on um, on retrofits because, you know, ideally now we, we try to keep dust collectors outdoors, but the NFPA requires if, if it's vented indoors, it has to be ducted. To the outside but the uh, the realities of the the calculations that are required relative to the size and length of the duct is that duct is going to create a a back pressure that's going to uh, limit the ability of that vent to function properly realistically those vents have to be relatively short and uh and, and straight and it's, it's oftentimes difficult in an existing facility to, to vent it and uh, be within the guidelines if uh, you're more than 10 feet or so uh, away from a wall or, or a ceiling. And again, with existing plants, you've got other equipment in the way. You've got you know, ductwork and pipes and, and everything else a lot of times. So
0: Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that the same kind of thing applies with the, the venting to an inappropriate location. Where there's a, a fireball that and a pressure wave that ejects from that vent, when activated. Similarly, if you if you inappropriately vent the or duct the the venting, like you said, you can have back pressures that build up and, and can cause the either the flow to reverse back in the dust collector or um, you could blow the vent, which would then be a, a fireball in the middle of your facility wherever the wherever the ducting is. Um, so in some cases, if not done right you're generating an additional hazard that could be of similar magnitude or even in some cases a, a larger magnitude than the, the original hazard. That's why it's important to get somebody who has experience to, to help you with these systems. Exactly. Okay. So we covered four. So what's uh, the, the fifth and final? Well, all right, what's the fifth? I'm sure it's not the final mistake.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just the no, no, number five at the, at the top of, of, uh, you know what we see the most. Um, so the fifth one is uh, vented dust collectors uh, with no isolation. Again, venting seems to be something that people understand is is an effective means of protection, but they don't completely understand everything that needs to go along with it or or the additional requirements. So isolation, of course, is is preventing an explosion if you ha- you know from traveling upstream or downstream of that vessel that's protected with a vent. Um, so that it doesn't get into other equipment or, you know, in some cases you may have a, a dust collector outside that's vented, which is great, and, and maybe you're returning that clean air back into your facility. So if that, if that duct is not isolated, then that fireball could travel through that duct and, and right back into the facility. The, the dangers of, of that fire or flame uh, explosion, you know, propagating to other equipment, and Or uh, you know, getting inside the facility and outside of that other equipment if, if it's not protected, uh, creating secondary explosions. You know, those are all things that, that need to be looked at in addition to just the venting portion. Another area that, that I've seen overlooked a lot is the, the actual outlet of the dust collector itself. It's a good idea to have, uh, for example, a, a, an airlock that is designed appropriately. It has you know minimum number of vanes and and very tight clearances to act as a isolation device on the outlet. I've seen instances where they're they're collecting uh, the dust out of the bottom of their dust collector into like a super sack, for example, and there's no isolation, so their their dust collector is vented, which is great. But if there is an explosion, you've got that fireball that's going to come out the bottom and that pressure wave that's going to you know hit that super sack and catch it on fire and probably blow that dust all over the place and, and again create a secondary explosion.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. And what's the typical okay, I think I've heard of people putting rotary valves at the bottom of the dust collector that that can act as an isolation device. Is that the, the approach you most commonly see or there are some other options there?
1: Um, that's the most common one because typically you need something there anyhow to keep air from coming back up into your dust collector through that outlet. Sometimes there's a a manual slide gate if you have you know low dust loading applications where they don't need to get it out of there continuously. Um, so somebody just goes over there, you know, periodically throughout their shift and opens it and lets the dust out.
0: Yeah, and it's I, I do want to emphasize the importance of isolation because like um, just general housekeeping and not having dust through your facility, isolation is one of those those kind of chain um, event or, or chain connections where. You have an explosion, one vessel can propagate through to another and to another. And as pressure piles in each subsequent vessel, you can have uh, subsequently more and more disastrous explosions. And then just the, like you said, have, if you had a dust collector outside, that's great. But if it explodes and it's not isolated, um, that can propagate back into the facility. And that's, that's happened actually quite a bit. And it sometimes has disastrous consequences. I was just writing today, I'm, I'm working on a, a book chapter actually um, it won't be out for the book won't be out for a long time but I was writing about the the, the 2014 Kunshan explosion in China and they had an aluminum wheel polishing operation they had dust collectors that were I can't remember they're on the external wall or outside the external wall um, but they had an explosion dust collector no isolation propagated back into the sanding or the polishing lines and it was an extremely large explosion it, it actually fatally injured 146 workers injured another hundred and fourteen. So these isolation and secondary explosions and those sort of effects can take something that, you know, is a has a smaller impact and make it very large. So it's very important to to consider. And it's also important to consider, you know, a single single piece of equipment as well, because those will injure and, and and fatally injure workers as well. It just may not be at the same scale. So we'll we'll include a link to the the page for the Kunchen explosion just in case anybody's interested in kind of seeing what happened there more. But uh, yeah, that's that's an important topic to to also understand this isolation. So, in summary, then we have the the five mistakes that that you commonly see are appreciating the magnitude of the hazard, tolerating poorly performing dust collection systems, um, just understanding of a proper electrical classification as per NFPA 499, um, non-compliant explosion venting. So this can include putting padlocks on your vents. Don't do that painting over them, having them pointed in the wrong direction, having them pointed upward on catwalks, having the dust collector indoors without venting, having the dust collector outdoors without venting, putting it too close to a wall, <laughs> the vent too close to the wall, so you have back pressures. Uh and there's a whole bunch there. Um then venting of dust collections with no isolation. We just we just talked about that. Can lead to secondary explosions, can lead to pressure piling, um, and and that's why the isolation if you've ever seen a there's some, some videos you may be able to pull up maybe from one of the companies of explosions in single vessels and then propagating through a pipe and then to a second vessel. And you see how, how much more devastating the second one is due to this, this pressure piling and, and non-isolation. So, Chris, I really appreciate you sharing these because I think you've hit and described really, actually almost, almost in a simple manner. I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory sense, but in a simple manner that's easily digestible and understandable, these five issues. Um, is there any kind of one other global, overarching thing that you you'd like to uh, to mention before closing off on the interview?
1: Yeah, I guess um, you know the you know we touched on this this education phase uh, at the beginning, where you know just trying to to promote awareness and share information so that that you know the the the, the tools exist and and the people are out there who can help make these facilities safer. The, the gap I think we have right now is is helping people understand that that the hazard exists and how bad it is to begin with. And then the fact that, you know, there are there are steps that can be taken to to drastically reduce the, the hazards and the potential consequences of fires and explosions.
0: Yeah, and I think we'll close off on just just reiterating Chris's point. Um you don't want to be that one in three million at the at the Yellowstone Park that gets attacked by a bear. Um you know it's it, it's maybe it's low i i argue sometimes how how low if you're not following some of these things if you're making some of these mistakes i don't believe that the odds are actually that low they're not as low as as 1 in 3 million and that's probably a topic for another another uh podcast interview but the even if you say it is 1 in 3 million you don't you just don't want to be that the one
1: right right that that 3 million includes the the facilities that are that are doing the right things and, and doing things safely. So to your point, if, if you're not, and you're not aware and you're, you know, not taking care of housekeeping and things like that, then, then your odds are probably a lot greater than that, even though maybe it hasn't happened for a long time.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. And um, that will probably be a topic of future discussion on this podcast. But so I, I really appreciate you taking the time, Chris, and I look forward to the chance to, to get you back on the podcast, discuss maybe some of these in more depth at a, at a later time.
1: Sure. That'd be great. And thanks again for having me.
0: Thanks, Chris. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. So I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Chris Justo. And I know I learned a a lot from the mistakes and common errors that he's seeing in facilities handling combustible dust. If you have any questions or comments or thoughts, you can leave them in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 22 for this episode. If you have anything you'd like us to cover on the podcast in a future episode, you can go to dustsavyscience.com slash ask, A-S-K, and you can either audio record your question or type it in the, the text field there. And we'll actually bring on a subject matter expert to discuss that on the podcast. And lastly, if you're interested in actually attending or being on the podcast, you can go to dustsavyscience.com slash podcast. If you scroll down below the player there, you can say a field to to um, fill out an application to be actually be on the podcast and share your knowledge with the community. So as always, I hope that everyone has a safe and productive week ahead. Um, And I appreciate the work that you are all doing in industries that are handling combustible dust and making these facilities safer. So thank you and I look forward to talking again next week.